turn to 1 John. 1 John. If you're new to the Bible, um, look in the front first couple pages and you'll find a, uh, what do you call it? Table of contents. You can find the page number for 1 John. It'll say 1 John. And go ahead and turn there and we're in chapter 4 of 1 John. Let me read verses 17 through 21, and then, with God's help, preach it. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, perfect love. Perfect love. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we get into this. Father, we do ask that you would help us see what we cannot see. We ask that you would cut into our uh, hearts of stone this morning, turn them into hearts of flesh, give us ears to hear your word. I pray that as we hear your word, that we will experience Jesus Christ who is among us. It's in his name we we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Two explorers were walking through a jungle and they came upon a lion And one explorer said to the other explorer, he said, just remember what we've read in the book. Stand still and look the lion in the eyes and he will not attack us. And the the second explorer says, well, that's all well and good, but has the lion read the book? You know, there's going to come a time where we all will stand before the Lion of Judah. This is going to come a time where we will all stand before God, and I wonder on that day if that will be delight or if that will be dread for you. I wonder if you look forward to Judgment Day with anticipation and hope and excitement, or I wonder if, if we would approach that day with great fear. We are all born fearful. Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, if you remember the story in Genesis, Adam and Eve walked with God. Adam delighted in the Lord. But then what happened after the fall? Were they running to the Lord? Were they walking with the Lord? Absolutely not. They were hiding from the Lord. Why? Because they were now in fear of Him. 
They were covering up. They were making excuses. And ever since then, the human race is born with fear. And then as a result of fear, we don't actually love each other fully because our, our actions, our deeds are uh, often self-oriented. We act in ways uh, that would interest ourselves. We essentially are selfish because we want to cover up and mask the fears that we have. We mask the fears through sinful pleasures. Others mask their fears through religious performance. But either way, we are born fearful. John Stott said, fear lives within us by nature and needs to be driven out. Look at verse 18. Let me draw your attention there where John writes, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out or drives out fear. Fear is driven out by what? Love. Fear and love cannot coexist. Where fear exists, love does not. True love, full love, love in its fullest expression. But where love comes in, love drives out all fear. So since love and fear cannot coexist, may love fill us up and drive out all fear. So let me ask you this question. What defines you this morning? Fear or love? What defines you this morning? Fear or love? Let me just approach this text this morning with two simple statements. Number one, fear does not define us. And number two, love does define us. Let me break that down. Number one, fear does not define me. We see this in verses 17 and 18. As we prayed this morning, Stephanie's grandfather passed over the weekend, or last, last week, and she is there uh, this weekend for, for his funeral. And uh, she, she told me, knowing that we were getting into this text, she said, you know, my grandfather loved this passage. He had been one who dealt with a lot of fear in his life. She, she said that her grandfather was once a uh, pretty bad dude, unfaithful to his wife, harsh with his kids. He was unkind. And sometime later in life, he came to trust in Jesus Christ and believed the gospel, but that fear wouldn't leave this deep sort of awareness that I have been a really bad dude in my life. And one day I'm going to stand before the Holy of Holies. I'm going to st- in His presence. I'm going to be judged by the thrice holy God. On that day, will He remember 
what I've done? Like, is Christ really enough? Like, I'm trusting it. I wonder if you're there. Believing it. I trust the gospel. But at the end of the day, when I, if, I, if, if Judgment Day were coming next week, how would you feel? Would you just be like, oh, man, I can't wait to get through this week. 24 hours in a day is just too long. I want this week to get by because I'm going to see Christ face to face. Or would you say, God, please, push it back. Can I get an extension? Can I do a little bit better? Would you approach that day with great fear? Stephanie said her grandfather would read this text to her often growing up. Because what he found was that the love of God, then perfected, completed in him, drives out all fear. He, over his life, became overwhelmed by the love of God to the point where he could not wait to stand in the full presence of the Lord with no fear. Are you defined by fear this morning? How do we lose it? Well, let me show you how. First, what we see here is that Christ has confidence before God and we are in him. Christ has confidence before God, and we are in Him. So you see this word perfected. This, this is how, what love looks like when it's perfected in us. The perfection or the completion, another word for that would be the fulfillment, the finishing, the fullness of love in us, and this is actually kind of surprising to me, is in our confidence before God. So last week we talked about perfect love and how love is completed in you. It grows up to its full stature in you. What does perfect love look like? Well, here's the answer. It looks like confidence before God. I think that's kind of shocking because I would, I, I'm looking for like expressions of love. You know, perfect love looks like caring for the poor. Perfect love looks like doing all of these things for other people. Perfect love looks like laying down your life for another person. True, yes, to all of those things. But the definition, though, the, the fullness of love is that we stand in confidence before God. That is what perfect love looks like. That's how you know you have grown up love in your life. That's how you know that you have experienced and seen the fullness of God's love and it has been perfected in you, is that you stand with confidence before God. How? Well, look at the text in verse 17. In this, love is perfected so that we might have confidence for the, on, the, on the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in the world. This is the reason that we can stand with confidence, because as Jesus is, so are we. Now you say, wait a second, I'm not like Jesus. Well, this isn't talking about his sinless perfection, as if we uh, have sinless perfection in this world. John has already made it clear, we are sinners, and if you deny that you're a sinner, you're a liar, according to John. It's not talking about the fact that we share in the, in the perfect character of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, is, is that we share in the righteous standing of Jesus Christ. As Jesus is, his standing before God, so are we in the world. We stand 
in Christ. So how was Jesus in the world? Well, he called God Father. He approached God with great intimacy as the Son. He then was, uh, he ascended to be with the Father and now sits at the right hand of God. Fully, like fully accepted by God. No fear. Only confidence between the Son and the Father. Now John has already made it clear that we are in Christ. He is our propitiation. He is our safe place. So how he is, is how we are in the world. You see what he's saying? We then stand, we go to God as his child. We call him Father. We freely confess our sins to him because we know that he's a forgiving God. We wouldn't do that if we had no confidence in him. We would try to hide in shame. You know, fear asks the question, where am I? We answer the question, we are in Christ. We are in the safe place of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so then, as he is, so now we then are in the world. I love our worship services as a church because we come boldly before God each week. Every week we come into this place and we we boldly come into worship. We boldly come into confession of sin. We boldly claim the, the, the forgiveness that's offered on the cross. We say that's ours. Do you realize how bold it is to say I am a child of God? Do you realize how bold we are to say God loves me and we can come into his presence? Bold. Amazing love, the song that we sang last week. Bold, I approach the eternal throne, and I claim the crown of Christ, my own. Amazing love. We can be bold because we have amazing love that has been applied to us in Jesus Christ. Because we are in Him. So we come because Christ is our safe place. Therefore, we have confidence. What do you see in this text? Look at verse 18. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You know how they say oil and water doesn't mix There's something about the molecules, something about water molecules being uh, polar, I believe, which then means that they have uh, some kind of positive uh, force on one end and negative on the other. I'm not a scientist. (laughs) Oil is a nonpolar molecule. The point is, all right, when you look at a bottle of vinaigrette dressing, The oil and the water has separated, all right? Oil and water don't mix. In the same way, love and fear, they don't mix. We can't have one and the other. And this is what verse 18 is saying, is love drives out fear. 
But I want to turn it the other way. If you are driven by fear, you don't know full love. A church that uses fear as a tool is a church that 100% of the time lacks in love. Why does racism exist in this world? Why does the fear of the foreigner exist in this world? Well, isn't it because we are afraid? Doesn't racism exist because somebody's afraid that they're going to lose power? The dominant culture, what if, what if, what if, it's no, what if we're no longer the dominant culture? What if we lose our jobs? What if we have to learn another language? <gasps> fear. And because we have fear, then we lack in what? Love. That's why all this stuff exists. Because fear exists. Fear is the product, he goes on to say, of punishment. Look at verse 18, continued. He says, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears then has not been perfected in love. The only other place that that word punishment is used in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, which says, to those they are thrown into everlasting punishment, but the righteous receive eternal life. Listen, the people of God know nothing of punishment. Punishment is a foreign concept to the people of God. Now, discipline, that's another sort. Discipline is about shaping. Discipline is about our formation. Discipline is about life. Punishment is about destruction. Punishment is about wrath. Punishment is about harm. We don't know anything anything as people of God about punishment. That is not how God, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God will punish a Christian. He will discipline you. That's different. I have our interns, we talk about what's the difference between punishment and discipline as it relates to parenting. It's interesting to come, see the list that we come up with. Even as godly parents, we don't punish our children. Get rid of that language. That's not godly. We discipline our children. That's different. You see, fear has to do with punishment. Let me use a marriage example if I could. Let's, let's suppose that spouse A used fear and sort of a punishment mentality to deal with his or her problems with spouse B. Now, what's happened is, is now a culture of punishment and fear has taken over the marriage. Now, spouse B will respond in ways that, that seek to please spouse A. Spouse B is going to try to walk on eggshells around spouse A. Spouse B is going to try to do everything spouse B can possibly do to keep spouse A from losing it. Why? It's because spouse B is consumed with love. Let me tell you what's happened. Spouse B has lost the ability to love spouse A because love demands trust. Love demands vulnerability. Love demands the fact that it's okay to screw up and we forgive each other. Love demands the fact that we come together as ourselves. This is who I am. This is the picture of marriage. Clothes come off. Two come together. Vulnerability, acceptance, and love. But if we have fear, 
If we're driven by a punishment mentality, well, now spouse B cannot fully love spouse A. You see how that works? God has made it possible for us to love him because God has taken the punishment in his own body, Jesus Christ, on the tree so that we might love him. Listen, friends, if you are not a Christian here, I want to encourage you, invite you to let this kind of... First, let me just say this. If you're not a Christian, you have right reason to fear. Judgment day is not a happy day for you. You have right reason. If you're not, if you're not trusting in Christ, you have right reason to approach judgment day with great dread. But don't let this fear drive you from Christ. Let this fear drive you to Christ, your safe place, your only hope, and get in him. Trust in him. I think of the kids, kids in the room. When I was a child, I remember being so filled with fear. When I was a child, I I remember I believed the things that I heard. I believed that Jesus Christ was my Savior, but at the end of the day, I was always afraid that I hadn't trusted hard enough that I hadn't prayed hard enough, that I hadn't believed enough. And I was always afraid to die and to face the judgment and to possibly go to hell. Kids, don't live in fear. Trust fully in Jesus Christ. If we're trusting in Christ, that means we don't have to fear. Amen? And love drives out fear. So this leads us to our second point. Fear does not define me. Secondly, love does define me. We see this in verses 19 through 21. Love does define me. The prodigal son, he had left his father. He had taken his portion of the inheritance. He had squandered it on partying, on friends, on who knows what. He found himself broke, eating with the swine. And he had this thought, it would be better to be a servant in my dad's house than to be eating the pig's food. So he gets up and he walks home. Now, there was a uh, scholar who I was reading on this, and this scholar points out that uh, in this day, a couple, there was a, a couple elements that, that would have kind of shaped this entire story. One is the element of shame. As he approaches this community, the first place he would have been shamed is at the city gates as he walks in and as the people see him, knowing what he's done wagging their heads at, them, at, at him. And then he would have to face his father. The shame, the fear of that. As he sees his father and possibly faces the wrath of his father. But isn't he delighted in the story? He's got to be. It doesn't say that, but it's implied. What happens in the story? The father sees his son coming from a distance, and the father does something that's shameful. In this culture, the father runs. That's a couple things. One, he runs toward the son. Secondly, the very fact that this father is so quick to make things right with the son would have been shameful. To take on this son, to, 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 to forgive him, would have been such a shameful act. The father, as is one scholar speculates, runs to try to catch the son before the community can get to him. The father takes on the shame. 
that belongs to the Son. Now, we, I think this is implied by the rest of Scripture. We know the Son's response to the Father, and that is love. How can you not love the Father who has loved you? Look at verse 19 in the text. It says this. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. What he's saying is is our love is an outgrowth of God's love for us. We love because he's given us the ability to do so. Why should you love God? And why should you love others? Well, let's come up with a couple reasons. First, we could say that we should love because Jesus has given us an example of love and we are to follow him. Correct. True. We could also say that he has commanded us to love, and that is true. We're going to talk about that. But the reason we see here that we are called to love is because we have been given the ability to love. Because he first loved us. And as he loves us, he takes the shame that should have been ours. He deals with the punishment that should have been ours. The punishment of eternal death placed onto Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Bearing the wrath of God for your sin. Dying in your place. Rising three days later. Calling across this great divide, come to me, trust in me. You see, he has dealt with the punishment. He loved you first, and that's why now you can love. Are you tracking with me? Can somebody say amen? Amen. Can somebody say, I get it, I'm with you. We could talk about how we should love. We could sit around and talk about the various ways that we ought to love each other, and there's a place for that conversation. But you know what we, we, we really need to keep doing, and that's gazing on the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to keep gazing on the first part of that sentence, he first loved us. I believe the more we gaze on the cross of Jesus Christ, the more we're going to love each other. If you're lacking in love for your brother or sister, look at the cross. Go to the cross. Keep going back to the gospel. See the love of God manifested on the cross, poured out for you. If, if, if we're feeling like maybe in our community groups that we're just lacking in expressions of love for each other, let's talk about the cross together. Let's talk about the first part of that sentence, that he loved you. And so then, because of his great love for us, let's love each other. Let's let our expressions of love toward each other be a natural outflow of what we have seen on the cross. Run to him. As the Father runs to you, as the Father seeks you, friends, run to him. With no fear, with confidence, knowing that he is a good God who wants to forgive you. Who is ready. He's standing ready. Are you going to tarry? Are you going to wait until you're better? Or are you going to, are you going to run to him? How wonderful is his love. How great is the love of God for us. How deep. The Father's love for us, how vast 
beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. So therefore, as he goes on in this text, our love for others is an expression of our love for God. Look at verse 20. He, uses, he paints a hypothetical situation here. He says, if anybody says, I love God and hates his brother, he's, he, I like the way John does this. He's very pastoral, very caring. He's not making accusations. He's not saying that there is somebody in the church who is this person. He, but he's just realizing this is a very possible situation. And he's saying, you know, if, I'm not saying anybody here fits this, fits this category. But if anybody says that I love God, yet in all reality, I hate my brother. They might not say it, but you see it through their actions. What he says is, is that he is a liar. I also like the fact that John doesn't mince his words. He, he, he calls a spade a spade. Meaning you can't say one thing and the character of your life is something entirely, you're lying. You can't say, I love my, my, my wife, and then go home and beat her. You're lying. You can't say, I love God, but I don't love the church. You're lying. You can't say, I love God, but I really can't stand the people that are in the community group that I attend. You're lying. I love God, but it's the person sitting next to me that's the problem. We can't do that. We're like, why? He goes on to remind us of a truth that we made clear, tried to make clear last week. He repeats himself. He says in verse 20, continues. He says, For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. What he's saying is essentially this it is hard to love a being that you can't see. It really is. Think about it. They're not in front of your face. You're not reminded of them. You can easily forget them. It is hard to love and to serve a being that, is, that, that, that you cannot see. It's actually much easier to love and to serve those beings that you can see. And what he's simply saying is, is if you can't do the easier work of loving each other what makes you think you can do the harder work of loving God? We cannot claim to love the unseen God if we are not loving the seen people. And so what he's, the, the broad point here is simply this. Your love for each other is your expression of love for God. Which means, that, like, Jesus is, is not so concerned about your talk. He's not so concerned about uh, how much you say that you love God. What he says is, I want, I want to see it in your love for each other. That's the test. That's the test. Listen, love drives out fear. The reason that we can love each other is because fear is now done away with. 
The day before Martin Luther King Jr. died on April 3rd, 1968, he preached a very famous sermon. And he closed his sermon with these words that have been written down in history. He says, I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Now, I don't know if he intended to, but I think King gave us a glimpse into something there. You know, he was known for his love for both the oppressor and the oppressed. His public ministry was marked by love. And in his closing words of his ministry, he says, I'm not afraid. I'm not fearing any man. Why? My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Love drives out fear and allows us to actually love each other. Fear is the antithesis of love. And if humanity is truly defined by fear, then that makes sense as to why there is so much lovelessness all around us. If humanity is marked by fear, that actually makes sense of the fact that Baltimore has seen in 2017 thus far 265 murderers. Our brother Kenny, he lost his brother last week to murder. Some coward killed him. That's an act of fear. You know, murderers are not big and bad. Murderers are not tough. They're not the tough guys on the street. They're the cowards. Because it takes courage and great boldness to live in love for other people. Oh, the blood of Jesus Christ is enough, isn't it? The blood of Jesus Christ washes murderers, washes our hearts, washes our hands of the sins that we've committed out of the fear that we have in our soul. The blood of Jesus Christ then washes us of our fears and leads us to the place where we can actually love each other. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ as to why we can love it's the blood of Jesus Christ that, that, that allows you and drives you to love each other. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that would call, cause you to pick up the phone and call somebody you haven't seen in a while. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that would call you to, cause you to pick up a membership directory and pray through it on a daily basis. And I should pray for people and remember their names. <laughs> it's the blood of Jesus Christ that would drive us to loving people that are different from us. We are so quick to just surround ourselves with what is similar and what is familiar and what is comfortable, but love does away with all of those fears. And we can now love people. Not because they bring some quality to my life, not because they're comfortable, not because it's familiar, but we can love people because that's what Christ has done for us. 
and we have been rid of all fear, and now we have a grown-up love in our lives. And this is not an option. Look at verse 21 as we close. He doesn't say, you might love if you want to. He doesn't say, hey, this is a good value for a church to have. He doesn't say, if you feel like it, if you feel up to it, it's a command, isn't it? Isn't it? Verse 21, look at it. It says, and this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Boom. Everybody say, boom. That's it. It's a, we are called in our obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We are called to love each other. The great commandment on which hang all the law and the prophets. John Gill said, the same commandment that requires one requires the other. Jesus is not interested in you talking about how much you love him. He's interested in you showing it through your love for other people. John 15, 8, Jesus says, It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. John Stott said the great characteristic about Christians is not fear, but the great characteristic about Christians is love. Family, let me ask you again. What defines you? Fear or love? Fear or love? They don't mix. You know how you can mix? Let me get back to science one last time really quick. I'm not a scientist, so talk to somebody else if you want some further explanation on this. But you know how you can mix water and oil? I looked it up. The only way you can mix water and oil is if you use what's called an emulsifier, like some mayonnaise. Put that into the vinaigrette. What happens with an emulsifier is the molecules in an emulsifier, for some reason, they, they wrap around little, mole, or little drops of oil. They mask the oil. And it allows the love and the fear to mix. I wonder if you're using an emulsifier to deal with your fear. I wonder if you're doing things to just mask it. Are you using religious performance as a way to mask your fears of standing before God? Are you using sec, uh, uh, sinful pleasures to just mute your fears, to not have to deal with them? And then you can say, I'm a loving person, and it's, but it's all mixed up. It's not genuine love. It's not the full expression of love. It's not pure love. It's not grown-up love. It's all mixed up. It's like mayonnaise. Yuck. <laughs> Amen? The religious folks, they mask their fears through practicing a religion based on fear. Irreligious folks, they live a life of trying to mute their fears. Only the people of the kingdom can actually deal with our greatest fears of all. As we come before Christ, as we see love manifested on the cross of Calvary in the person and the work of Jesus Christ applied to us, His forgiveness 
cleansing us of all of our sins. His righteousness clothing us. Now we can stand before God with the confidence that He has. And as a result, we are freed to love. May love be perfected in our midst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for perfect love, the love of Jesus Christ that we saw on Calvary that we have experienced in our lives as you have applied redemption to us, as you have forgiven us of our sins, as you have clothed us in his righteousness, as you've given us your spirit, making us a new creature, giving us the ability to fully love one another. God, I pray that you would help us to do just that, that our love would be an expression of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.